Hi Jay, it's Colin. Uh, just checking you're still alright to do this interview tomorrow. That's Thursday. About 2 o'clock, yeah? Let us know, mate, just to confirm. Cheers. Catch you later. Hello, rescuers. My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about finding a route back to playing tabletop role-playing games. This week, I've been having a chat with a fellow podcaster and gamer. We couldn't settle on a specific theme before the interview, but as it unfolded, there definitely seems to be a thread that binds the thoughts together. So, here's the challenge. Can you figure out what the thread might be? This is Season 4, Episode 12, The Pit Rescue Ramblecast. Colin Green is the voice behind Spike Pit, an OSR anchorite podcast, which many would say lies at the heart of a lively network and community. Colin's show features call-ins from across the spectrum of gamers and champions forthright consideration of a range of useful ideas. He is as likely to ask a question from the community as he is to give a personal view, a trait which earns him deep affection from a strong base of listeners. Colin is a gardener by trade based in the south of England and engaged with gaming alongside his kids and brother in a regular face-to-face gaming group. In recent months, Colin has also become a player in a range of online games and begun to find his feet in the Roll20 community as well. Welcome to the show, Colin, and thanks for coming to talk to us. Wow. Quite the intro, Jay, man. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, I'm uh, glad to be here. Yeah, awesome. Ah, oh, well, you know, I'm really glad you volunteered. Yeah. <laughs> First question, uh, what do you prefer, player or GM? I, I do you know, I'm, I don't really have a great preference, but I am enjoying playing at the moment, but that that can change. Yeah, I, <laughs> it, it just it just so happens that's what I'm doing a lot of at the moment, and uh, love the one you're with, I guess. Yeah. So you do you swing then? You know, like you know, when you're gming, you get in that mode, and when you're playing, you switch. Uh, yeah, de- yeah, definitely. I, I um. I have to get myself into the frame of mind for GMing. Although I would say probably when I play, I'm I'm never that far away from the GM. I'm always sympathetic to how they're doing, especially if like our face-to-face group, we've got got a a, a pretty newish kind of GM Mm -hmm. who's only – he's been in gaming, but he's not been running games for too long. And I've always got an eye on him, kind of, and he'll talk to me after the session. So I'm, I, w- I wouldn't put it as strongly as coaching, but I, I've kind of got that nurturing sort of eye on things. Mm. And I've heard you say as well that you like when you're when you're a player, you like to try and um, help your GM out sort of subtly as well. Yeah, yeah, because I, I don't think you want to be heavy-handed with it because I don't want to push my style on, onto a GM, but I, I just, if they're struggling for a name, say, I'll say, mm. well, do you, want, do you want me to throw a name in or, you know, you know, offer a little bit of fiction here and there or 
try and be the player that I would like to have at my table. That's the bottom line. You know, be engaged, um, get into it, help out, help out other players at the table. Just be be that supporting. You know, the GM's right hand man. If if that's what they're looking for, you know. Mm, sounds like you're trying to you know, do the golden rule. You know. Yeah, treat others as you want to be treated. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. I thought you might have been talking about the Will Wheaton golden rule there. <laughs> Let's not go there. No. But so, uh, what is it that you then enjoy? You know, most about role playing games. What do you get out of it? I've, you know, I've asked myself that a lot of times, and I don't think I've ever really got got a satisfactory answer other than one that's a little bit wishy-washy. I think it's predominantly a creative outlet that mm. I, I I wouldn't have necessarily otherwise. Um, I, I get a little bit with my work if I'm uh, designing and working on designs in a garden I might do a little bit of kind of casual art at home and design stuff like that, working on the house. But beyond that, it's a little bit few and far between mm. without role playing and in particular the podcast. Yeah. And you've said before that um, I think like me, you probably take it all a bit too seriously sometimes. I don't know. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think that's what I feel. That might be a little bit of an over- overstatement, um, but I don't quite know how else to put it. It, it can be – I think role-playing can be quite an intense business, especially face-to-face groups. We had uh, a little while back there was this business with like a friendly fire incident. And when I look back on it, we had a character that caught my um, my eldest son's fire was going into a combat, and this this other guy like launched a spell at him, and it, it was like the sort of thing you might do in a in a game like World of Warcraft. You kind of calculated out the damage, and you could afford to do this, and you know that meta gaming type of thing that some people will do. They know they can get a spell off, but he'd miscalculated it, so the fighter went down. Uh, and and I, 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 it just really, it kind of put the mockers on the session. It was really mm-hmm. awkward from that point on. And um, we had a talk about it. I did an episode on uh, Spike Pit about it, and there was call-ins. And, and then, but as time's gone by, I thought, really, you know, that was all a bit too intense. I, we could have handled it better because the guy, he didn't like being asked about it we said you know because the other thing was it was a little bit out of character for his uh the character he was playing and it just seemed yeah it was just it was a combination of badly timed metagaming out of character play and it was all like oh this is a bit rubbish this was a bit of a rubbish session Hmm. and 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 he left and i thought man that isn't really what i want my role playing to be like pulling people up on stuff and you know, having them awkward conversations that you kind of can end up with. I, I always feel like there's, um, I don't know, amongst the gamers I've 
I've um, spent time with and also listening to people talking on podcasts, there's probably more um, emotional investment and empathy amongst gamers than I perhaps realized. Uh, what do you think? Um, yeah, it seems maybe there's, you could break it down broadly into two groups. I think there's some quite really kind of clever calculating mathematical scientific types that figure everything out you know there and there may be mm. maybe some of the people that tend towards being a little bit more socially awkward and stuff mm-hmm. and they come into gaming um i'm not i'm not exactly sure how that where they come into gaming because with it being you know um big conventions and um face-to-face sort of social groups and stuff like that it it seems maybe not the obvious choice of hobby for for somebody like that and then i think there's the other more maybe artistic emotional types that get into it because they're maybe people people Hmm. and i mean you've only got to look at some of the some of the communities um People do seem to be quite thoughtful, by and large, about other people's feelings and stuff. So I think empathy-wise, I think you're right. I have a kind of a theory about it because I think psychologically we get to try on different you know, ways of thinking and different kind of characters, you know. And um, I wonder if that does make us a bit more, over time, a bit more aware of what others might be feeling, you know, and thinking and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But it's like, so what you're saying is perhaps this empathy is something that we've learned through gaming. So especially people that have been doing it for a greater amount of time. Mm. I mean, I think back to, you know, as a teenager, certainly very inept. I think most teenagers probably are. (laughs) Um, But I think that the more I've gamed and the more groups of people that I've gamed with the more I've become confident socially and and also able to, I think a bit better to deal with different situations um, I don't know yeah I mean they they talk about this um in being used in therapy and stuff now don't they role playing games mm. um so yeah. I mean you must you must must learn stuff I, I can't believe that we spend all these hours engaged in this activity and and don't learn more about ourselves or our fellow gamers, it's, you, you must mm. surely pick up on things and absorb. I mean, it's like the um, social cues and that. You become well aware of all that um, at the table, I, I, I find anyway, especially if you're running mm. the game as a GM because you've got to be really cognizant of all, all that sort of... Um, Un, unsaid stuff okay well Robert Rescue is about obviously people getting back to the table um, I always like to ask guests you know what tips do you have for a person coming back to the hobby um, I guess it depends uh, well I, I'd certainly well first of all you know I'd encourage anybody that's played before and is hesitant I would encourage them to put all that aside and just dive in. And maybe 
maybe you don't want to try and relive or, 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 or think too hard about what gaming was like. Maybe just come back to it with a, with a bit of an open mind mm. and be, be – because if it – if like for me, it was probably 95 – I was trying to work this out. I think it was about 95 I was out of RPGs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just like war gaming and board gaming and stuff. And then when I come came back in, things were very, very different. You had the, all the whole online gaming thing. You was on a fifth edition of D and D, and I think if I'd have come in it with a a closed mind, I mean, what I'm trying to say is, it's I think it's very different now. And if you're trying to recreate the days of old, firstly, you kind of you look at it all through rose-tinted shades or glasses, mm-hmm. and you're a lot younger. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. I think just if you're coming back into <laughs> it, just just come back into it with, with some fresh eyes and an open mind. Because I mean, we you know, you and I both sort of broadly place ourselves in that sort of old school um, camp, you know, and a lot of people, I suppose, from outside of that, I mean, at least I seem to get this, is this expectation that we are somehow just nostalgic for the past. Um, Is that true? Um, Not for me. But I've experienced what you're saying. And I even heard on somebody's podcast the other day that I I think it might have been – Jeremy on um, 40 a podcast talking about sword dream and the idea of um, what those guys were doing they're trying to like make that sort of bit of a step of step away from the OSR mm-hmm. and he said he'd said that he'd heard criticism of the OSR for being wanting to return to an age where um, where the politics were basically iffy, where we, you know, where women were maybe like second class citizens or, or stuff like that, and I, I, hmm. I was a bit horrified. I thought, nah, you can't think that somebody wants to play um, a, an older edition of D and D because of that. Surely not. Um, it sounds crazy. I know it's crazy. Um, and then the nostalgia thing, whilst. See the thing. The thing what happened was I only really got out of role playing games. I just kind of got busier, and got married and was starting a family and one thing and another. Mm. And I was playing board games. And what happened was I started playing these board games that were trying to recreate. I realised I was picking up board games that were trying to recreate that RPG kind of feel, things mm. like Descent and and stuff like that. And and they were they just for me they always fall short, and I thought, well, why am I actually doing this? Why why is it that I don't actually just try my hand at role playing again? Mm-hmm. And I, I think I I talked myself into believing that it was a lot a lot more work and a lot more hassle, when really I think the opposite is true. I actually find it harder now to learn a board game than I do just to just to play a session of 
of an RPG, especially like a rules light sort of thing. I, I can sit and throw down maze rats and just play with the kids at a moment's notice. But if I've got to get down a board game, I've got to go through the rules, refamiliarize myself with it, set it up, mm. break it down, all that sort of stuff. And it's, RPGs are just easier for me now. I mean, basically, a role-playing game has a very simple conversational structure. And like you saying, whatever rules you pick, that's just a mechanism to adjudicate what's going on. But it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, I guess um, the thing about role-playing is that you just pick it up, don't you? I mean, board games for me are half an hour setting up every, all yep. the bits. Yep. You know? yep. <laughs> Especially the sort of uh, board games that are trying to be a bit of a facsimile of of an RPG. Uh, you know, you're mm. going to have endless cards and tokens and supply piles of this and that. And yeah, yeah. I thought you actually um, summed it up well. I mean, this is not quite the same thing, but when you said about um, that the game is, is not the rules, you know, that mm. idea that the game is is what's happening. However it's happening, that's the game. Yeah, and, and what you said there, it is basically, it's just that conversation. GM sets the scene, players say what they do, uh, and then you've maybe got a random, a randomizer like the dice or some cards or or whatever, and, and that's it. Yeah, it isn't complicated, and yet, like you're suggesting, really, that people who might be listening to this and want to play might be thinking. Yeah, but it is difficult, isn't it? There's a lot for me to do. Um, I mean, what can we do? How can we help make preparation for a game easier? Well, there you go. There's the question. Um, there's a lot you can do. And I think... I've, I, I would... See, it's quite strange to me that so many people are getting back into the hobby through something like 5th uh, Edition Dungeons & Dragons because... That wouldn't be my um, my recommendation, mm-hmm. um, and and I think seeing all those books and all the kind of associated paraphernalia that can that can be intimidating. I get pretty intimidated by big rule books, so my suggestion would be the, the problem is I guess the 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 lighter systems are not so well known, and. I don't know, maybe – I mean, I don't do a lot of preparation. I make no secret of that. I, I, I pretty much fly by the seat of my pants. So it it's difficult. You can't just tell someone to do that, can you? That's not enough. No, I think it it's it's a much about giving yourself a confidence. Um, that's what I always feel. Yeah, they say the best – the right amount of prep is the amount of prep that makes you feel comfortable to run the session, and that's that. Mm. Which, which is, which is very true. At the same time, is a bit of a kind of cop out answer because people like to have definite answers, don't they? Or a certain type of person likes to have a very definitive answer. And if you say, "Oh well, you've got to do what you need to do to feel comfortable," hmm, maybe not super helpful. I quite liked uh, Matt Colville's first video that he did uh, years ago now, where he just said, hey, let's play D&D 5e. Um, you're going to do a dungeon, and it's going to be like five rooms, 
and he walked people through how to sort of set up a five room dungeon i think it was um you know with some goblins and there were some you know good tips in there like have a simple fight to start with and then maybe a a bigger punch up and some treasure and then a trap and then a bit of a you know final confrontation and then maybe a secret room hidden off somewhere that people could find and and explore i mean what do you think to that sort of approach yeah i think that's something that that i would do almost instinctively i'd think to myself what are the uh what are the key rule systems in the game and let's try and give people the chance to try their hands at maybe a sort of slightly simple version of that. Maybe you do a little bit of a stripped down character generation so that people can kind of understand their character sheet. Maybe you just use a pre-gen and walk them through it. But Mm -hmm. last thing you want is everybody sort of checking out because you're going too much into detail. It's like when you explain a board game, you've got, you've got to go through it a bit sharpish or people, they just glaze over. So it's, mm. it's the same with an RPG. It's, it's no good standing and going through all the rules. You've got to get them involved. And like you say, that that five-room dungeon that, that Colville's talking about, a little bit of an encounter with goblins straight at the beginning, it, it's going to get everybody kind of – it's going to draw their attention immediately. That mm. They don't really need to know the ins and outs of their character sheet. And you by, – by doing that combat – you're, you're engaging with the character, the character sheet, the mechanisms in the game, and you're off to the races straight away. Mm. Then then maybe you'll get into a bit of exploration. You've killed the goblins. And you're asking them, what? well, what are you doing now? Then it's whether people have heard some of the tropes. Because that's the other thing. There's always that sort of – there's the tropes to help you out, aren't there? People kind of, I imagine – People have seen the films and that, you know, it's like, oh, searching the bodies or searching around the area looking for clues. You, I imagine at this point now everybody's got a bit of an idea. I don't know. Yeah. How do you – I mean, you, you're you're playing with a lot of kids. Do they come to the sessions with some kind of um, understanding of what they're kind of doing as characters? Yeah, I think they do. I think there's two things going on. A lot of them, um, they read – um, they may be into fantasy novels or more commonly into sort of anime, you know, manga mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and the other thing is computer games. So a lot of them, uh, you know, they're into into some of those kind of console game stuff. And I think some of the tropes obviously have been imported into those into those games from the sort of Dungeons and Dragons era, mm. early era. So, you know, they know about like party functioning together and they know about um, don't split the party and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but they also know, you know, at the end of an encounter, you do go and search things and try and find what treasure there is and stuff like that. So, yeah, some of it comes with that. On the flip side, however, there are some things that are very, very different in a role-playing game. And I think um, that's where they need a nudge sometimes, you know, I find myself asking questions um, to try and prompt, you know, a bit of thought. What is that? Because they're expecting like a little bubble to pop up above something's head with a like a, <laughs> an icon saying that you found treasure. Like you mean you 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 need mm-hmm. them to work a little bit more with an RPG perhaps than you do on a computer game. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't play enough of these games to know no, me for sure, but I, but I kind of get the feeling that sometimes, like with traps I find often, they're not particularly wary 
Um, and I don't want them like tapping every you know every two feet of the floor. But the thought that they just kind of don't even think about the possibility of a trap in a corridor, for example, or in a room, um, or on a chest. Um, and I'm not quite sure why. Those are the things that they trip over, you know, and secret doors and secret rooms, which I know exist in these games, but I can't quite get how the mechanisms are different. Um, hmm. But I find player, younger players anyway, they sometimes need prompting on those things. You know, like they're, they're in a dead-end room and they're looking around going, well, what do we do? And and I might say, well, you know, does every part of this room look like it's the same? <laughs> it's funny you, um, you, you say that and I... That just triggers a, a memory of mine. I, I distinctly remember when I was learning to play D&D, I remember the teacher that taught us um, saying though, that virtually the very same thing. Well, have you, you know, have you tried looking around the walls for perhaps there's something hidden, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It. I mean, part of it comes with being a teacher. You ask questions, you know, mm. but anyway, I don't know. Um, you said that you felt D and D five E was not where you would start. Um, is that because you f- you think it's too heavy, too big, or is it something else? Yeah, I, th- I think yeah, I think it's just a bit too big. Um, but mm. but if you started with the basic rules or just like the starter set, uh, I, I I think the original starter set for D and D was was pretty decent, and probably. The, the new one, the Essentials one with the character gen, I think if you took both of them together, I reckon that might be a good place if you wanted to start 5e. Mm. I've heard you talk about the starter set a lot and you've recommended it to me. Um, and I know I've, I've used it as well um, a bit way back uh, when it first came out. Mm. What do you think makes that particularly special as a product then? I think the Lost, the lost Minds of Fandelva for a, for a new DM is definitely a worthwhile adventure to have. Mm. Um, it's kind of quite classic. It's very D and D I think. Um, <laughs> you got the, um, Vandalin, the village. So you've got that little village as the classic inn. it, it hits all the tropes. And the only couple of criticisms are not really criticisms of my own. They're just the things I've heard and I actually agree with. The initial encounter with the goblins, you know, you could you could probably kill a few characters straight out of the gate with that. Yeah, uh, that's what happened when I used it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's happened <laughs> to a lot of people, especially if, if they're, like you say, not too cautious and don't see the very obviously um, signposted ambush coming. Yeah. Uh, my my players were all over that sort of thing, um, <laughs> but you know, with with youngsters and that, yeah, they they might not smell a rat. And then the other thing was, you do get a load of hooks in the in the the village. There's lots of missions, and there isn't much uh, GM advice to say. Don't try and pull all this off at once because you can mm. easily bamboozle your players. I think there's probably off. Oh, I want to say there's about maybe possibly eight, maybe eight hooks, maybe not as many mm-hmm. as that. It, it felt like eight, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to hit your players with them. And I, I, I just kind of was running to the book and 
I, I made a bit of a bit of a mess of that. I, I hit all my I hit my players with everything, and then they were just a bit too confused. So then mm. then I ended up having to kind of pull back from it a little bit, push push some of the storylines a little bit more. I've um, heard you talk a lot about how you like want to play 5e and then I know maybe a few episodes later you're talking about you know getting excited about a different lighter game say Black Hack or um, you've talked about Maze Rats a lot you know um, what what's at the heart of that tension for you between wanting to play what is quite crunchy D&D and the other types of lighter games? I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. I've got a great answer for that. Um, but what happens is, in our group, we've currently got five people that will run games. Wow. Um, so we've got Carl, who wants to run Cthulhu. Arfed, mm-hmm. my brother, he wants to run his own thing. Then our new guy, Ricky, uh, he's currently running Dragon Heist. My youngest son wants to run 5e, and I was running Basic Fantasy Mm -hmm. because I was trying to get away from 5e, but I wanted something that was familiar enough that it would be a fairly simple transition. Mm. And I found that just a bit kind of meh. <laughs> what I like about 5e is it is it's the current D&D and I quite like playing in that kind of current current thing you know it's kind of there's a little bit of a buzz that you get from hearing about the the new like releases that are coming and you know there's so mm-hmm. many there's so much um hype and resources plowed in into that version of the game now all the actual plays, all the stuff, all the stuff. If ever you're at a loose end, you can just go on YouTube and you can find loads of things to kind of keep your hobby going whilst you're not playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of me, the, the conflicted Colin, as it were, likes the <laughs> DIY, the, the stuff where you can just print out things from PDFs or cut books up. You know, I've got a shelf full of 5e stuff behind me. And I'm really precious about it. I don't, I, I don't want to deface the books, or you know, I'm not going to be drawing in there or sticking things in there. But if you've got maze rats, you can print out multiple copies. Say, give them out to your players. Te- you know, literally tear them apart, scrub out. You know, if you've got a random table and you keep getting the same result coming up, you know, just mm. just scrub it out, write in some new content into them tables sticking a few extra sheets stuff like that and i really i really like all that and the way you can just jump into it and not really feel that you've forgotten any rules i find uh, my problem with 5e every time i come to it is it feels like it's set in stone to me yeah yeah do you know Um, i had exactly that thought earlier it's got a really strong implied setting hasn't it and also everything's in its place, isn't it? I mean, there's the, don't get me wrong, it's it's a good game. It's a really good game. And um, and it offers a lot of different options and opportunities to players. And, uh, you know, and that can be very exciting, I think, from a player's point of view. As a GM, I feel like 
yeah, constricted bound a little bit in the box, you know. Mm. Um, I don't know. And um, what, right with you saying, with um, something a little more DIY, uh, yeah, you get to hack it, don't you? Mm. Um, maybe that, maybe that's just you know the voice of experience talking. I don't know, but um, yeah, I find yeah five E's yeah in stone. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think that's more of a perception than an actual thing. Um, mm. Because obviously, if you really wanted to, there's nothing to stop you from doing anything with five E. But it 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 doesn't feel it doesn't immediately make you want to do that or be excited about hacking it. You kind of feel like you want to do it properly. Mm. And I think that's just because there's so many words in them books saying, explaining this and explaining that, you know, when you've got so, so few words in a game, you just don't feel like you're doing something wrong. I feel as well though, that even I run 5e online uh, with Fantasy Grounds with a bunch of gamers uh, about a year ago now. Um, we played for a good long while, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but you know that in the DMG, there are various options for sort of tweaking your game. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that always bugs me is the um, you know the short rest, long rest being like the short rest is like, you know, what is it? An hour. An hour. Yep. And then the long rest is an eight-hour thing. Mm-hmm. And there's an option in the DMG, and I always fancied it because it felt a bit more you know, like older D&D, where you can change that to sort of eight hours and I think it's five days or something stupid. Yeah, it's like the gritty variant or something. Yeah, yeah. And and there are various other options like that in the DMG, which I thought, thought oh, that's kind of cool. I can use those. And every single time I tried to bring them to the table, I met actually resistance from players, you know, oh, well, why? <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I felt like, even though there's options in the DMG, uh, my experience of players generally has been that they don't necessarily want to mess mess with that. They they quite like what's in the player's handbook, thank you. And um, I don't know. Hmm. In the end, I kind of I, and I personally just ended up bored um, because every you know the encounters were uh, well. I was encouraged, I think, as a GM, very much to sort of just present a standard D and D game, you know. And um, uh, so yeah, in the end, I was yeah, it bored's a word actually. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know, but it's not that it's a bad game. It, I just found it, um, yeah, restrictive maybe. And but like you said, I think it's more attitude than what's written. Yeah, because when you think about it, when you actually boil it down, there's there's not a vast amount of mechanism to the game. Mm. Um, and. I actually, I was actually laying there last night. I don't know if I'd looked across at the books or something, and I thought, how have they managed to write so much about so little? (laughs) Because, you know, you can sit and play a game and you barely engage with anything beyond roll the 20, roll the dice, roll the d20, and try and beat this, this difficulty. Mm. And and that is the majority. That, that's what you're doing the majority of the time. The thing that always kind of trips me up with five e is spells. Mm. That that will that will get the rule books out every single time. E, even even when you're using spell cards, and the characters 
have done a, a, a reasonable job of understanding their class, we still mm. get tripped up by spells. And, and at times like that, I just wish I, I had a lighter system where the, the spell was one line, you know, like black hack where it's like one line of text or a couple mm. of words like it is in Maze Rats. And you, you just sort of sort out that spell for the day, it's cast and it's it's gone forever. But but you don't have to have it gone forever. If a player really likes it, you're you're within mm. you, you, you know, it's your your decision. Well, we like that spell. Well let let's let's make a couple of notes and we'll we'll say that your guy has come up with a way to keep this. And and it's just it's just that conversation again. The referee the judge, whatever you want to call him, and the player having a conversation and, work, and working something out. Not really too sure what all those books are for. I wanted to come back to something you mentioned. You, you've got a group with uh, five GMs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think are the advantages of running a group like that with that rotating stable? Um, hmm. Did I imply there were advantages? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be positive. Yeah, I mean, of course, there, there are there are advantages um, because you you probably get to play more different games. You spread out yeah. the cost of the hobby more uh, equitably. Um, the burnout kind of a problem is is never really a thing. So how long do you play for with a GM? Well, we've we've never really we've never really figured this out. Um but I my last run I said cuz I'm a firm believer in putting a a date on a a set of sessions or a campaign giving mm-hmm. myself something to work towards. And always giving people the um, the escape hatch kind of idea, you know. If mm-hmm. if because I think that can put players off, you know. If you say, "Oh, do you want to join our D and D group?" and then instantly they imagine this contract, uh, a never ending cycle of gaming that they can't get out of, and you probably lose <laughs> you probably lose potential players. I think you'd always get. I think groups would be more successful if every time you sat down to, to play in a, in a role-playing group, you knew you were committing to, say, 12 sessions. Mm. And then there's nothing to stop you doing 12 sessions after that and 12 sessions after that or whatever, or whatever number, you know, pick a number that works. Mm. And I I think, I know it's, it sounds like you're making the game really finite, but I think you're actually doing the opposite. I think you're... You're allowing people to cross off a little anxiety that they may have in their mind about, oh, you know, this commitment. It's twelve, you mm. know, it's, it's twelve sessions. You're in or you're out. Away we go. And then you might not, you might not have to worry about the um, the drop in, drop out game so much because this is almost a ver- this is almost another variant. It's the you've got the massive long campaign, then you've got the drop in, drop out. I see this as somewhere in the middle. It's interesting you say it because it's something I've never really done. Um, apart from when I was playing online, you know, I sort of committed myself to, I think it was six sessions or something like that, you know, and that worked quite well. 
Um, but at home, uh, it tends to be, well, there's only me GMing really, although several other guys could. But there's always been this kind of, uh, we're going to run this game. Of course, none of them ever last. So I guess if I just committed myself to six sessions, it would be um, probably more profitable. <laughs> well, I think, I just think it's, I, I mean, I haven't done it like that for long. Don't get me wrong. This is a new development for me. And I don't think I've talked about it much. But I find it really helpful. Um, it counteracts because it, it gives you to get out as well as the player to get out. You know, if a campaign's tanking yeah. and it hasn't really quite gone the way you wanted it to, if you're the sort of person that can feel a little bit defeated about that, well, all you've got to do is get to session number 12 or set yourself a closer target, maybe like 10 sessions, and mm. you can, you know, you, you're not you're not that, you're never that far from the end and you can say to yourself, well, there's the end. I've just got another couple of sessions, then that'll be that and then I can do my new greatest thing, my new, my next big thing and I'm going to do this different and I'm not going to do that and, and you can just reevaluate. But if you're in a big, long, sprawling campaign, sometimes that, I mean, you can just toss it out. But you, 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 like you say, you do get pushback from your players about things. Oh, yeah, but what about my guy? I was going to do this. I was going to do that. And and then mm. and and then you can have a bit of bad feeling. But if you said we're going to do this, it's going to take that long, and there's a definite end point. I, I just find it really helpful. You've implied that there were some negatives to your round robin. Um, is there anything in particular that you had in mind there? Without you know, obviously putting you on the horrible spot with your mates. Oh no, no, your family. no, no. It's, <laughs> it's no secret that you've got uh, five GMs all want uh, all want to run the next biggest baddest session, and mm. um, you kind of could end up with a the situation where. You know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, <laughs> I want to. Do you think you'd be running for many more sessions? Because I've got this great idea. You know, uh, it, it it can it can be a little bit awkward. Uh, who's you know who's going next, and then maybe pitching your ideas, and then how do you do that? Do you just take strictly take turns, or do you kind of vote on it? So we we never re- we, we currently are just kind of like just going around the table as it were but mm. n- nothing nothing sort of set in stone and you get rusty you know I, I I'm thinking well I'm probably I've done my my stint for a while I'm probably not going to GM now for maybe a year in that group wow so uh am I you know am I going to just you kind of feel like you've got to keep your hand in. So I, I, I jump on any chance, you know, if they're like, oh, so-and-so's not here next week, what are we going to do? I'm always like the first person with, oh, I'll run this. I'll run something. They'll go, you know, yeah. oh, well, will you be able to get something prepared? Yeah, it'll be there. I'll be there. And I'll make sure that I, I jump in just to keep my hand in. Yeah, one-shot king. One-shot king. <laughs> <laughs> or try, trying to be. <laughs> well, look, it would be weird – not to have two podcasters on here talking about the hobby and not ask the question, you know, what particular value do you feel you see in the sort of range of podcasts that lots of other gamers are recording right now? Well, I mean, 
podcasts have been so valuable to me for a, for a number of reasons. If you if you're not podcasting yourself and you're just listening, the ideas and the inspiration that that come from podcasts, um, you you just can't you can't put. A, I think it's priceless. You can't put a value on them. Um, mm. And there's so much. There's a wealth of really good advice out there. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm biased towards listening to the uh, the OSR kind of anchorites because just from uh, doing my own podcast and going on like the Audio Dungeon Discord, I've got to know people, and you know, I consider them as like my mates. Um, mm. Play games, play online games with a lot of fellow podcasters so there's a whole kind of community thing there for me but that is that is open to see that's that's the thing about podcasts and especially with anchor anyone anytime can just make a call in to any show that catches their fancy and you're more or less instantly welcome welcomed into this community of i don't know i i imagine I try and estimate the size, but I reckon there's probably around a kind of 150 people as a ballpark figure. And obviously some people... Sounds about yeah, right. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's some people you you hear from more often than others. And a good percentage of those are doing their own podcasting as well. Mm. And, and yeah, it's like it costs you nothing. You've only got to have a device uh, can pick up your your podcast and you can i mean the beauty of podcasts for me is they're so convenient it in my work i can just list i can just listen to hours of podcasts and be lost in the, the hobby and with all these ideas going around my head and and then you can call in and i i think not just from a hobby point of view but for your mental health i think it's quite important sometimes you, uh you can become isolated in your day-to-day life and if you feel like there's a group of people that have got similar interests and maybe sometimes they've got similar similar problems and things like that it just it's just that little bit of support there mm, yeah I, I totally relate I, I i mentioned to you before we came on air that i i'd had a bad day yesterday mm-hmm. and um i was listening to um random screed mm-hmm. And uh, I just realized how much I value, um, you know, that show. And um, I called into Jason just to say thanks, you know. And and like you said, mental health-wise, it was a lift. And then later in the afternoon, I caught Dave Aldridge's Deep Centile. I caught Spencer's, you know, Keep Off the Borderlands. Um, I think there was an episode from you on the last day or so as well. And, you know, all of that, it picks you up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely definitely does i mean a random screed with jason jason hobbs there uh, that was my on ramp for podcasting i'd been listening mm. to hobbs and friends and he mentioned random screed on this thing called anchor and i like you know he, he, he mentioned it and i thought oh that sounds interesting and i just started making a few call-ins and of course once you start calling in if you do a lot of call-ins the podcasters are like you know, well, I think it's about time you had your own show. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're yeah. filling up the airwaves on other people's shows, and it, it's like uh, you're probably right. And, and I can't even remember quite what started 
what started it for me, but I just thought, all right, I'll do it. It was super easy to just set up an account and I just started recording and haven't haven't looked back. I mean it's it's so it's so much fun. And yeah, it is. And and the support, you can't you can't um because what people perhaps wouldn't realise is there's a whole uh there's a whole discussion that goes on behind the scenes of course you know some things are not things that you necessarily want to broadcast and and talk about quite so openly although there is Mm. quite a tradition for being pretty um pretty open that's another thing about the likes of random screed and your own uh podcast um you talk about stuff that you know um people might shy away from it's not the sort of thing you're you're going to find on on television so much that honesty and that kind of bearing somebody was talking about this but uh it might have been rob from down in a heap talking about on the one man uh podcast the single voice it, it maybe there's a tendency to be a little bit more introspective uh so you're kind of questioning yourself and like doing this sort of soul searching thing that goes on because there isn't there isn't someone to bounce your ideas off you kind of almost have to bounce them off yourself unless of course you you're using the call in to inspire your your direction and everything i i felt as well that um it's more candid than social media you know it's it's for me it's rapidly replacing other social media things i think you've had that experience haven't you it's kind of ditched largely the other kind of ways of communicating yeah because i really didn't do social media i did a little bit of instagram taking photographs and i thought oh this is quite interesting and then just found Mm. it took up too much time then i got in at the tail of g plus and Mm. uh google plus and i thought oh Wow, man, there's loads of good ideas. Oh, this is where everybody hangs out, kind of thing. And within a few mm. months of discovering that, it it was all wound up and sort of everybody was leaving. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> then at this point, I was well into anchor. People started talking about me, we, and that. And I I, I haven't really hit it off with me, we. I think it's fine. It's fine, but it. I don't know. I don't know what it is about. I don't think I'm a social media guy. And the the Discord, I, I, I get on with that all right, strangely enough. And I, I don't quite know why that is. Maybe because I think it's a smaller set of people and I feel like I kind of know everyone. But mm-hmm. the podcasting, that is totally, that is my, that is where I'm I'm happiest. I, I, I just phone up people and leave call-ins like you'd phone someone on the telephone and leave a message on their answer phone about anything. Mm. Well, like when we were setting this up, it's my go-to. I'd say, I'd think, oh, I need to get in touch with Shay. And boom, there you go. I'll jump on anchor, leave you a message. Um, It's just so, it's just so convenient. It's so immediate and and personal. And I think it's really good. I think there's more to it. I think with the voice as well, isn't there? Um, you know, you can hear something <laughs> um, with the way someone asks a question or the way someone says something that that I think is really valuable. Yeah, because we're 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 human beings, aren't we? We're I think we're wired 
to pick up on subtle things that we wouldn't pick up on, like you say, on, on a social media. Um, people seem... Pr- well, on social media, there's there's a front, isn't there? There's this, like, barrier kind of... Um, I don't quite know what it is because I don't do it in, enough, but people are very guarded. And I've noticed you sort of drop that guard more recently as well with your drive-bys. Yeah. Yeah, that was a conscious decision. Um, so what kind of prompted it? Something did prompt it now. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> I think what happened was I was getting a little bit wound up about something in my own head, probably. I think it was just there's there's just this there's that constant kind of drama stuff that goes on with social media and I'd been fighting when I started out my podcast, I said I was going to kind of stay away from all those things. And mm-hmm. when I got um, a year in, I think it was all building up a little bit too much. And I just mm-hmm. put on the audio dungeon discord, a quick kind of comment that I, that I think I, I could do with venting some of these these thoughts, some of these emotions a little bit, but I didn't want people to take it wrong. Mm-hmm. And there was a few comments that were, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, just throw it on the podcast or whatever. And, of course, I thought to myself, well, that's easy for you to say it's not your podcast and <laughs> you don't you don't want to sort of alienate your audience by taking a sudden change of direction and then everybody's everybody finds it um jarring mm-hmm. so i thought well I, I could have another flavor just add another flavor into the mix come up with this idea idea of a drive-by just put a little bit of a a warning type of disclaimer at the beginning mm-hmm. uh, if you want to avoid that sort of con- those that little bit more contentious stuff or because it is a bit rougher as well. Cause I'll put on more recordings from the van and driving along and mm. it's a little bit more, it's just a little bit more raw and it gives me a bit of a chance to vent and hopefully the people that are easily offended just won't listen. Um, I, I always got the impression as well. Like it was, we talked about mental health and how valuable it can be to express, you know, and to and to discuss and and all those sort of things. And I I got the definite impression that, you know, for your sanity's sake, you kind of almost needed to let off the the pressure. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, um, yeah, you've expl- you've you've explained that a bit better in a few seconds. It took me a couple of minutes. <laughs> and, and I still failed to, um, but yeah, yeah. I need. I felt the need to vent and let off a bit of that pressure. And I think it since I've I've done. I don't know. Maybe I've done perhaps a dozen of them. Maybe fifteen. Maybe twenty. And mm-hmm. already, I feel like I've got a, a fair bit of that out of my system. Really, mm. and I do feel I do feel better for it. And I feel like I've. Um, you know when you when you 
done something you feel like you you needed to do there's that there's a little bit of satisfaction in feeling like you've 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 been honest with with mm. yourself and maybe with the listeners and that gives you a little mm. bit of a a boost yeah i always feel that way about the journal that i do the gym's journal i i i mean honestly i sit there and agonize about whether i should continue doing it every week um and yet when i put it out um it feels good's not the word uh, liberating maybe yeah it's cathartic the right word yeah it might be there's a good word oh cathartic that set put that on a text or something send that to dave aldridge for inclusion in one of his next episodes <laughs> what professor what's his name professor percy <laughs> that's the one <laughs> i'm sure he'll love hearing us uh, make fun of him again yeah uh, that's great I, I always give him a bit of stick but I, I don't know why that is it's just some people I, I i run across in life that um just seem to be really really good at understanding and taking a bit of stick and dave's one of those yeah. those guys yeah he's a, he's a good guy and um the deep Centile podcast wow he's done some amazing things with that too so oh yeah definitely but your gm's journal i was just gonna say and not let you get away with that one um <laughs> I think that's a re- I think that's a perfect format for the likes of Anchor though, because you can just record those snippets, get your thoughts down, compile it up at the end of the week or whenever you, you do it. I think I can't. I'm I'm amazed that you think about not doing that every week. God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. It's 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 letting people in, isn't it? And um, that's scary. And I and um, I always worry I'm going to upset people. You know, every single time. Um, so I don't it's just your, it's just your thoughts, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't hear you really making casting judgments. It's like your, it's real personal. It's your reflection, your opinion. I don't hear you ranting and raving and telling people how how to do stuff or that they're they're having wrong, bad fun or whatever it is. <laughs> bad wrong. No, fun. I guess what I. <laughs> I guess what I do is I I, I ask leading questions. Um, but they're the questions that are going through my mind, so yeah, no, I don't know. Anyway, conscious of time. Yeah. Um, so what we're saying, people who are getting into the hobby, they need to get themselves um, on anchor and be listening. Is that what we're saying? I would, I, I would always recommend that. Definitely get get yourself listening to some some podcasts and yeah, get. Like you've got an instant sort of support group there that you can throw any questions you got straight at, and you know you got. I think you pretty much get a, a quick response in most cases. Mm. I have noticed one phenomenon that may be worth mentioning, which is the the thing where people listen for ages and then eventually get the courage to call in. And then about a week later, start a podcast. What do you think that's about? Hmm. <laughs> have you noticed that or not? Yeah, I have. Yeah, because you do. Because um, one thing I notice, you on, you normally pick those people up on other social media, don't you? Like they'll be mm-hmm. on MeWe or they'll be on something and they'll talk about maybe they're thinking about a podcast or they'll promise you a call in. Oh, I've been 
you know, they sort of pluck up enough courage to jump onto MeWe or something and say, oh, really enjoying your podcast. I, I really must call in sometime. And then it could be a good few weeks, like you're saying. They call in and then they do like a a rash of call-ins. And then the next thing you know, they're podcasting. So I think they just get in the bug. I think they just get the bug. Mm. I don't know. Have you, got an, have you got a theory? Sounds like you might have a bit of a theory there, Shay. I don't know. I, I think the archetype for this is Spencer. Okay, uh-huh. so from Keep Off the Borderlands, you know, I know that he was listening to um, my show a little bit and I think yours and several others. And then one day he made a call. I don't know which show he hit first, but within a couple of within a couple of days, he'd hit several shows with call-ins, you know, mm-hmm. and then the next thing you know, he's doing his first episode. I, I just wonder if it's just getting over allowing your voice to be broadcast and hearing it and then once you once you hear it and it's okay you know it's sort of all right then maybe that barrier comes down i don't know yeah you're probably right man because when you call in yeah you're you're not committing yourself to anything it's just a call in you can also gauge the response so if you get quite a a positive response it's encouraging then to do another call in if you do a few call-ins and you're getting a each time you're getting a quite a response and people are going, oh that guy who called in, I really liked his ideas, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. You're at the same time, like you say, getting used to hearing yourself. And the other thing is sitting there talking to your phone. That can be a little bit weird. I remember the first time I did that. Sort of, <laughs> so I got all of a sudden yeah. was really self-conscious. Um, yeah, I think you might be right, mate kind of testing the water and is that just the story of getting back into the hobby anyway i don't know you know people dive in <laughs> yeah di- dive in okay so before we go any last things that you'd like to bring up while you're here on roleplay rescue anything at all the only thing i would say is anybody that of an older mindset that played back in the day and has only ever played face to face i would urge anyone to give online gaming a go um i i faffed about delayed held back um procrastinated no end about online gaming and now i'm involved i play more games than i've ever played before i role playing more now than i did as a kid and i just would urge anybody getting back into the hobby don't be scared off by the tech it's not that bad if I can do it, anybody can do it. That that would be my closing uh, encouragement to elapsed gamers. Fantastic. Thank you, Colin. Well, brilliant to have you on the show. Thanks so much for your time today. And, um, yeah, i just really, really grateful. You know. Well, thanks to you, Shay. Thanks for having us on, man. It's been a good chat. I've enjoyed it. All the best. Take care, mate. Hey, Jason here, calling about your Going Mythic episode. Great episode, great review, really enjoyed it. If you ever want to try a co-op game, you know, a GMless game with multiple players online, I'd be happy to play in that with you and give it a try using the Mythic emulator. I bet you you could find plenty of other players on Anchor, too. I'm in the car, so ignore the windshield wipers. 
as far as rules light and rules crunch goes, I think it kind of goes to the maturity of the players. If um, and I'm not putting down min maxers, there's definitely a place for that, a place for that play style. But if you're more of a min maxer, then probably rules light wouldn't work because you're going to try to tweak the system to your advantage. I know that sounds negative. I don't mean to sound negative, but I think it just depends on the play style of the players on whether rules light or rules heavy or more crunch is needed. I enjoy both depending on the game. So talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Hey, Shay. Evil Jeff here. Listen to your solo play, The Delving Deeper, over the weekend. And then when I listen to your Going Mythic podcast today, it's like the scales fell from my eyes after hearing Frank T. ask that question about could you use it for an entire group? And an answer just fell in front of me. You know, I've got minions that are leaving, not going to be available for gaming for a while. I'll be down to maybe one. And how could we play a game, you know, role-playing game? Now I can be a player at the same time, along with one of the other minions. Thank you for that review and overview of Mythic GM Emulator and Mythic RPG. I appreciate everything you're doing. Big thank you there to Jason and Evil Jeff for calling in, and thanks guys for fabulous feedback on the Mythic episodes. I was genuinely a little nervous about that because I'm not sure how much interest there is in solo gaming. But it's been kind of rewarding, actually, to hear gamers who perhaps didn't quite get where we were coming from or what we are on about come back and tell me that they they kind of understood it. Um, So thank you both for calling in and letting me know that. I've had a few messages on MeWe as well and Facebook, so thank you to everybody who's dropped me a note, you know, and sort of, well... Let me know that that was useful. Maybe I need to talk a little bit more about it in the future. I don't know. Anyway, on the subject, Jason, of doing a game online, I really kind of hadn't occurred to me to do that. Um, So, yeah, if there's anybody out there who's interested in maybe an online game using Mythic, well, shout me out. Let me know. Um, I'm not sure how and when, but we could make it happen. And other than that, guys, I just wanted to say thank you for calling in. I really I always appreciate a call in and so thank you yeah I'm going to stop rambling thanks guys that's it for another episode I hope you enjoyed it I want to say a big thank you to Colin Green and Spike Bit Podcast for what was a really positive conversation with many many useful thoughts and suggestions for gaming thanks Colin As ever, please do share your thoughts by calling in. As you've probably gathered from today's chat, both Colin and I truly value the contributions of you, the listener, made through dropping us a few words on Anchor. So don't be shy. Pick up your phone and call in. I'd like to mention that Roleplay Rescue is brought to you through the generous support of our Patreon patrons. Without those folk, the folk that like me and what I'm doing enough to throw a buck or ten into the tip jar, you know what, I'm really not sure I'd have made it this far as a podcaster. So thank you, all of the Patreon patrons. Thank you, all of you. And finally, thanks for listening. It's really great to have your time and attention, and I hope you found it worthwhile. My name is Che Webster. I hope you'll join me again next time on Roleplay Rescue. Game on.